today. Lori and I are going to talk about faith versus fear. Lori, to do a little review, uh, last time we talked about the fact that false evidence appearing real, what you see are so many people paralyzed by false evidence. Go back over that again because it's relevant to where we're going to take this in, es- in essence. Well, last time was fear versus love. Today's fear versus faith. This is part two. Tell us again why, especially for someone who didn't hear last podcast, what fear does and the long-term effects to that when it does immobilize us. Fear in the brain um, can actually cause the hippocampus, the amygdala area, to like freeze up. Um, you're not processing things the way you should. You're not seeing reality the way it truly is. You're... Um, Basically, I always liken it to the point that when you get that way, you're not taking those deep oxygenated breaths. You're not clearing out the fog. You're totally focusing on something that isn't always real. You're focusing on those fears, and those fears start to grow and take on legs and literally are taking you on a journey that this is none of this is happening. This doesn't need to go this direction. I tell a lot of my clients that your fear is literally starting to manifest things that aren't actually there. You've got to stop. And just let that go and breathe through it. Which literally can happen, right? You, yeah, truly. You, to you, it becomes real. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen people bring about illnesses. I've seen people bring about, and it can go the opposite way. You have the exact same power on your brain going the opposite way. I watched my mom, through her own faith, heal right out of something where the doctors go, you have six months to live, and she wanted to live for another 12. Mm. So it's like, which direction are we going to go with this? Are you going to let fear take over and cripple you? Are you going to like push through that and like I'm going this direction instead? So Jim like, Jim Dobson used to tell about in 1969 he's living in California during the Manson murders and Sharon Tate had been murdered and everything and in the middle of the night he heard a bump against their bedroom door and and you know his brain is conditioned yep. to Charles Manson maybe in our house already. Yep. Los Angeles was living in that fear is the Manson family going to show up? So he gets up and he pulls to open the door and it won't open because somebody's pulling on the other side. And he, he goes through the whole process of he didn't know that his wife had gotten up. She is pulling on the door while he's pulling on the door. <laughs> and he thinks Charles Manson's on the other side of the door and just <laughs> went through this whole escalation oh, yeah. where in his body, the Manson family was on the other yeah. side of that door. You're creating a you're delusion. Crea- like to your, you're creating a <laughs> delusion. So yep. we do. We create the Manson family in our brains, don't yes. we? Yeah, your fear is That's amazing what, fear can what do. it can do. It's amazing. But you've got, to, you've got to grab a hold of that sucker, pull the reins back on that, and say, this is not my reality. Stop, and let's do a check. And I think it's fascinating that the default setting of the human brain is fear. That was meant to keep us alive. Yes. You know, if there's a bear chasing us, we need fear yeah. to kick in and, you know, blood pressure to go up and... and <laughs> Uh, pupils to dilate and, you know, oxygenation to happen. I mean, we need all that. Run, run, run. That's when you need that, yes. Yeah, exactly. But if it's chronic, bad. It's crippling you. So that was, you know, the the episode last time came off of when you did the initial recruitment for Brain Boot Camp, you experienced this sort of wave of fear that Mm -hmm. came out into the atrium at church. Mm -hmm. But today we want to go off of the, the weapon against that is faith. And one of the acrostics that I like, if we were going to be in the, the corny practice of using acrostics, false evidence appearing real, and one of the acrostics I do like about faith is fear acting in the here and now. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I don't, like, again, our def- we should feel fear. It's a protective mechanism. 
but it was designed, even the fight or flight mechanism is designed to get us to act. Correct. To do something. Not freeze. Not freeze. So when you freeze, you grow the freeze, mm -hmm. so to speak. So let's say an example. Let's say an example. Frank Crockett was using the example of, of somebody that I know I can help. It's in the hospital. Mm -hmm. I know I can help them. They know I love them. But a part of me doesn't want to go into the hospital because I've got to enter their pain. I may have to have answers I don't have answers to. Right. A child getting cancer. It's done. It's it's a, it's 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 scary. Right. To love. It's scary to live. Our culture's constantly really telling us shrink your life. Shrink it down to a screen. Shrink it. I mean, that's what it does. Our culture shrinks life. On the one hand, it'll say live the big life. But in reality, it's creating this fear. Politics are built on fear. It's it, the whole system is built on growing fear. Right. And yet I think most of us would go, no, that's not the way I want to live. But we succumb to it. I had a guy tell me the other day, you know, don't play sports over 40. Well, I blew by that barrier <laughs> a long time ago and I don't plan on stopping. I mean, I, I right. don't, I, I probably, I, I would rather go out that way right. than, well, you know, another way that is a lot slower and a lot more painful. I think that when it comes to our brains, fear is kind of like a, a warning signal and it's going to tell you turn left, turn right, get ready, buckle up, whatever it is. But it doesn't mean that you're supposed to freeze. It means that step into this knowing that you're going to need something more than yourself. So I always have a tendency to like, okay, God, use me. What, mm -hmm. what, I don't have the answers and I don't need the answers to step into this. I just need my faith. And when I step into this, just like with dementia, it's a tough one to take care of this person because that person's still in there. I just can't get to him because there's this cloud of dimension between me and her. Mm. So, and I don't have the answers because for the life of me, I don't know what is going on, what she's seeing, what she's hearing, and I don't need to. God does. So I step mm. into my faith at that point and step through my fear and then try to make a connection with her. And it's kind of funny because I saw this on Instagram or something, how the two lighters, you know, you, they both have the sparks and the flints, but if you drop the one in water, and, all, and, and the water is like all of these things that come against you in your life, your fears, your struggles, your failures. And in this case, it was her dementia. And when you went to hit the lighter, it didn't, it didn't have a spark anymore. But my flame hit her spark and mm. it shot her right back up. And then her faint That's flame a great image. fed me. So I was able to continue to feed her with what she needed because she was responding to what I needed. So it was really strange. The person with dementia was giving me what I needed to help her make a connection with me. That's a really great image. It was just, it was obviously, the, the context always comes back to community. It's always coming back to, I've used the example of the logs on the fire. You put them close together. That's how they keep the flame Correct. going. You spread them out in the, in the, in the hearth. It won't work. Mm -hmm. you, gotta, you know, you build them up. You, there's, there's, a, there's a science to building the fire. Yes. That, that does, I love that imagery of the spark. I, you know, the, 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 the big thing, let's talk about your faith in Christ because... I know that's a huge driver, being someone who went through this with your father, with, mm -hmm. with Louis bodies. You know, one of the things I say, because many people hear faith in our culture, have faith, have faith. Well, faith is not about how much faith you have. It's the object of your faith that matters. So the example I use is, what's better, to have a lot of faith standing on a thin sheet of ice or to have a little bit of faith, but you're standing on an iceberg? I'd rather have a little bit of faith. I'm standing on an iceberg because <laughs> right. it's not about the size of your faith. It's what are what, what are you standing on or who are you standing on? Mm -hmm. And the one thing that 
constantly we see that is immobilizing is the need to control. But the element of faith gives up control. Correct. Or at least gives up control of the uncontrollables. Right. When that happens, so in a person, let's say the example Frank was using of, I choose to take that little ounce of fear, which he wasn't describing it as a big fear. It was just, ooh, I just don't, I don't want to enter into that. I, I, I may not have the answers, but takes that and goes, but I'm going to move. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go in there. And as I know him, he will. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to do it. What happens to the brain when you choose to be this, comfortable this with the uncomfortable? What, what, so, tell us what's going on in the brain in that moment that is, it is a big deal. First, you're going to get that fear of the unknown. You're moving forward. So the body's like, okay, we're doing this. Just kind of like, let's, let's take for the example, you're, you're getting on the roller coaster. You've been standing in line. You know it's coming. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I don't really know if I want to do this. And everybody around you is like, come on, it's going to be fun. And you're like, oh, this is, no. And you get on, and then you lock the belt, and you check the belt, and you're like, why are they checking this? Am I going to fall out? So here comes all that rush of adrenaline, like, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And that little clicking, ticking thing as it goes up that hill, and you're like, oh, I'm really doing this? Like, yes, you're going to do this. And at some point, you let go of that fear, and you step into this, all right, I'm equipped. I'm safe. I'm locked in. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get hurt. I'm just going to go with it. And when you step into that and you just go with it, you realize you're capable of so much more than you didn't know. So the brain at first puts up all these barriers of like, are you sure about this? Because that's its job. Its job yeah. is to protect you. It's like, are so, you sure? Yeah, yeah. You're like, no, I don't have the answers, but we're going to do it. So I need you to be a little uncomfortable doing some of these things. Because as you get a little uncomfortable, you're growing new neuroplasties and new synaptic connections like, wow, I did this. Mm. And the rush of adrenaline that comes after you've completed something or the endorphins is the other thing that you get. It's amazing because, like, I remember, now mine wasn't diving with sharks. It was just scuba diving and surviving. But there was a person who was struggling with it more so than me. So I just geared up and said, like, let's do this together. Oh, that's good. And I just went into the fear. You with lost it. your fear. I lost my fear taking care of her. You're lighter. Yeah. Lit her. Her spark. Her spark. Yeah. And it's like, I took care of it and I came up out of that. And my husband's like, did you see what you just did? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I did it. And I had oh, no idea because I wasn't focusing on what I could or couldn't do. I was trying to help her achieve what she Are you going to go cage diving when Eric wants to go no, cage diving? No, I'm going to stay up on the boat. Because <laughs> sure I know he'll want to go cage diving. I know I'm he like, wants to. I think is the wheel current? Is everything all right? Though? Life insurance? <laughs> all right, you go do what you want to do. Um, but it's like it's, there's a rush. So even when we're doing just something as simple as exercising your brain, it needs to be a little painful. I need you just to push past that just a little Discomfort bit. Discomfort yeah. is, is just mm-hmm. a non-negotiable, yep, because essential your brain prerequisite up. to growth. Yeah, you need to be a little bit challenged, a little bit, because if it's too easy, it's just like working out. Why would you work out with a five-pound weight? Right, right. You're right, not right, right. doing you're, yeah. anything. And, and, and if that did work, you're going to have to take it to eight you're or ten. You're going to have to go up. You have to change. Once you hit well, Let this. me put you on the spot, because I'm such a believer in this. Richard Rohr put it this way. He said... The, the friar, he said, um, every day, if you want to grow in Christ, you got to face a humiliation. Yes. You, they, like every, a daily humiliation is good. And especially the more uh, successful you are, you need humiliation. Mm-hmm. He actually used the word humiliation. Yeah. Whereas, oh, gosh, that's embarrassing. And what he was getting at, he unpacks that and he says, you know, what we call getting comfortable being uncomfortable seems to be the Maginot line that when you cross that, there's pretty much not anywhere you can't go. Correct. Once you learn to embrace, okay, 
we're going into France here. Mm -hmm. And once we step into France, the Germans are there, yep. the Nazis are there, and they're there. there's no going back. Mm -hmm. uh, what? Are, okay, I'm going to put you on the spot. What are three uncomfortable, comfortable being uncomfortable actions that you would tell oh, Mind Hope listener? Uh, I'm putting you on it because we, we didn't prepare for this. <laughs> but I, I have full confidence in you, Lori Horseman. So what are three... These things, if you do every day or you do today, that they're not comfortable. Is it, is it, well, let me prompt you. Is one of them going, find someone to visit in the hospital? Find someone, find someone in your neighborhood who's, who, who, who lost their loved one, they need flowers. And I mean, what, so g give me, give us three. Because you know, threes are magical. It's putting your ego in check. It's, um, it's humbling yourself to realize that you don't have all the answers. So I think for a lot of people, it's an openly admitting, I don't know. I don't have these magical words, aren't they? Yeah, I don't know. You don't have to walk in there like we were just saying here. This is say, relinquishing control yeah. when you say that. People look at you like you're supposed to have all the answers. So I know for me in my world, it's sitting here simply saying, you know what? I have no idea how we're going to get through this. I don't have the answers. I don't know, but we'll figure it out together. Because when it comes to dementia, I always tell people that every time you screw it up, you're one step closer to getting it right. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is definitely humbling yourself in a situation where especially when you're like, you, you, we have a tendency to judge quickly of others. You know what? Step into their shoes for just a second. Hmm. Step into their shoes for just a second. And tell me how you think you would live that any differently if you had the exact same resources and options that they had. And it's humbling to me because there's situations where I, I go into these buildings because we're, we've got our communities all over different parts. And some of them are, you know, we've got kids coming to us, working with us. And the only shoes they've got are the shoes that we've given them to wear to work. So before I start to judge them, I have to humble myself to be like, all right, this is not an easy job that they're doing. Where are they coming from? What is their lifestyle like? <laughs> so one of the ways I try to break myself down as a person each day is to like, what would I be doing if I was that person? Yeah. If I was that single mom who's 20 years old, who has three different kids, you know, three kids, three different dads, but she's fighting every single day to make a difference for those kids. It's like, don't judge. Put yourself in her shoes for just a second. You know, what is she going through? And I always, like I said, I, the humiliation comes when I realize, like, wow, I'm sitting here thinking I've got this, this, and this. But I'm like, I didn't get here by myself. Somebody else helped me all this way. Mm -hmm. And I need to be that person that's going to turn around and help somebody mm -hmm. else. And when you get so um, up here with your thinking that y you don't need any help, well, that's when you're going to fall pretty quick. And I remember when the, the downturn happened in 08, 09. At that time, we were going down to the Gospel Mission every Tuesday night mm -hmm. and serving down there. How many people were in line who had worked at NCR? Mm. It's humbling. And I just remember going, because in my head, it confronted me with the fact that, well, if you work hard enough, that'll never happen to you. That's not true. I mean, it was one of those, I still remember going, well, that just got shattered. That's one of your fallacies. Mm -hmm, there's a fallacy. If I do all of this right, that's right. be me. A plus B will always equal C. And, and so uh, to me, it was, wow, have I been living in a bubble. Well, this is where you know. that, when we talked about socialization, this is where we do need each other. Mm -hmm. Because at any given time... From all stratus, too, yeah, right? At any given time, you're on the upswing, but in a minute, you're going to be on the downswing. Mm -hmm. So you, you, know, you, you give, you get, and it's a balance back and forth. Well, I think it's the brilliance of the local church is because the, Jesus designed his movement as the first multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-economic movement in the history of the world. So mm -hmm. we covered it last week in church. You know, rich do not favor the rich. 
uh, over the poor. Don't do that. Why? It's because fundamentally every system in the world is built on certain stratas, and you identify with your strata, but the church is not meant to do that. And the benefit of, I, I just love the image of the church of that successful family hearing about that single mom mm-hmm. and they, they do and something they about it. That's the beauty yep. of the church. Like they, mm-hmm. they go, we are sometimes anonymously. You no, you, you don't help. judge. You just go, yeah, 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 she may have she may have made some bad decisions that had her have but three who kids hasn't? with it. Who hasn't? Who and hasn't but for the grace decisions? of God, exactly. there go I. Somebody so when that you. happens and they and they say and they say we choose to find out where she lives and mm-hmm. we choose to overcome our fear that we won't know what to say to her or we'll make her feel lesser because we're we're financially blessed. But when they choose to overcome whatever inhibition that is, step forward, step forward, then, okay, let's say they're in their 40s. They, do, they, they live that way for 20 years. How different do you think they are as they're entering into the senior years than the person who shrank and shrank and shrank, was immobilized, and their, and their life got smaller, and, and they never embraced the discomfort of serving and Well, they planted loving. seeds. They've planted seeds for those 20 years, and that harvest now is going to be that fact that they know that they can influence and affect change. So rather than living in that smaller, smaller, smaller world where it's shrinking and they're not capable, they realize that they're capable of so much more. Yeah. And it's like your, your life isn't over as you get older. Your life should be broader and bigger, and there should be more influence that you've had coming in behind you like a giant wave rather than this little tiny bit trickle. What are you saying? Okay, so that because uh, we've been big this year on um, – Arthur C. Morris's book, uh, Strength is Strength, where he talks about your fluid intelligence wanes much earlier than many of us realize. Your fluid intelligence is what we call raw smarts, your, mm-hmm. your ability to invent uh, iPhones, your ability to invent Twitter, you, you know, all the stuff that comes out of Silicon Valley is fluid intelligence. But your crystallized intelligence, as he calls it, actually becomes huge as yeah. you get older mm-hmm. and transitions. So... What I hear you saying is that family that that maybe their wealth was built somewhat on fluid intelligence, mm-hmm. but now they have transitioned into leveraging crystallized intelligence. Yep. They're they're making connections right. and sharing wisdom yeah, and that's the wealth. assets. The that's wealth the wealth. The, the wealth is the wisdom. Yeah. That's why I tell people it's not always about what you got in your bank account. It's what you've got in your head that you're offering to other people. Because in other cultures, we we honor the old. We look at them like, wow, mm-hmm. that, that's the wisdom right there. Mm-hmm. And we don't put them out to pasture and shrink them down and pull them back. We don't do that. We look at them like, this is amazing. You've got all of this wisdom to offer me, and we honor that. Mm-hmm. And that's truly how you should be doing it because then that brain feels validated. It has a purpose. It feels like it's still needed, and it doesn't shrink. Yeah. Well, I, I'm encouraged by that because I, I I, uh, Eric's sitting here. He knows that... I get really nervous speaking in front of teenagers all the time at 61. It's just like, <laughs> whoa. And I do have to go, okay, here we go. Yep. <laughs> every go. time, every time. Just take here a step we forward go. and go. Yep, buckle up. <laughs> uh, Frank does the same thing. I mean, you just go, okay, I don't know what I have to say, but... Um, but that's not for you. Okay, this is the one thing I've learned quickly working with dementia is that because working with somebody who has dementia is truly like working with somebody who's speaking a foreign language for me. Mm. We're not, we can't, because commu- it's all about the breakdown of communication with dementia. So I don't try to make sure it's perfect and stuff. I just go and I let God figure out how it's going to hit that person 
and how it's going to resonate with them and then come back to me. I just let go. Because if I try to control every single aspect yeah, of this, so true. it's not going to work. I don't know you what I'm doing. I let go and I let God, like, here you go, girl. I'm going to put you here and you're going to say this. I'm like, okay. And I've come out of situations and looked at my husband going, I don't know what I just did or how that happened. But she seems to be better for it. it and I, I, think, I think that's where God's spirit moves is when we get on the edge of the Jordan River and we go, okay, <laughs> I'm putting my foot in there and I'm trusting you're going to part this thing when, yep. when uh, you're ready. But that is, that it's good. on the edge of that adventure where he yeah. does use you the most. And, and come to find out it's what keeps you alive longer yeah. too, isn't it? It's what keeps your brain healthy, keeps I mean, your yes, body healthy. I mean, it's good healthy. to have a plan. But it's okay to like yeah. lie by the seat of your pants and let somebody else that you're standing on guide your steps. Exactly, and that somebody else. I mean, I, I, I've seen that the Lord does this incarnational thing where He comes into that moment of risk yep. when it's out of love and goes, "Okay, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna work here." Mm-hmm. Um, well, Lori, thanks. I I think. Uh, all of us who are listeners of the Mind Hope podcast uh, are really benefiting from your crystallized <laughs> intelligence because you literally are coalescing experiential truth, your own experience, with professional intellectual research. And it is a, it is a powerful combination. And uh, I know I, for one, am thankful. <laughs> and I'm thankful that Eric has you too, because, you know, he's the kind of guy, he's, we're wired similarly that, you know, we need to hear that. We need, like, like for example, the, up, the guys who are all about, you know, getting things done, we need that humiliation. We need that discomfort in a different way, uh, relational discomfort. Mm-hmm. It's okay if it doesn't go your way. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you say that as if you've said that to him already. Once or twice today. <laughs> well, thanks, Lori. And for you listeners, if you want to get a hold of us, you can go to southbrook.org, southbrook.org, and uh, you can click on the Mind Hope button. And if you want to get a hold of Lori in particular, and you have questions for her on this, please engage with our community because it's not just a podcast. Podcast was phase one. Phase two is we've now started the brain boot camps, And phase three will be the support system, which we think is the most important thing because it creates that network of love. It's, it's what it creates, um, opportunity to share your faith. So thank you. Until next time on Mind Hope, this is Lori and Charlie.